Well, today we will begin a study through the book of Acts. So go ahead and open your Bibles up to Acts chapter 1. So we spent close to a year of Sundays studying the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John proclaimed to us that Jesus was and is God in the flesh. If you remember, we studied in John chapter 1 that the Word was with God, was God, made all things, and then became flesh. We spent a lot of time in the Gospel of John studying the earthly ministry of Jesus Christ from when He came onto the scene and John the Baptist pronounced Him as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He walked on the earth and He did many miracles while here turning water to wine and healing many people. He displayed the love of God to all of those that came in contact with him. He was zealous for the things of God. He was crucified, dead, and buried. But he rose again from the dead, appeared to many, and before he ascended back into heaven, he instructed his followers to go to Jerusalem and wait for the promised Holy Spirit that would come upon them and empower them. And now we come to the book of Acts. And this book is the book that reveals to us the work of the Holy Spirit in and through the lives of believers in Jesus Christ. And we'll see as we go through this book, the book of Acts, that that we desperately need the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives today. Because when we as disciples of Jesus begin to lose power and feel dry and maybe what you would call at wit's end and you've had enough or you're, you think you're burned out in some way, shape, or form, we need desperately to be reminded of and to take the time to go back and see how the Holy Spirit really meant for the church of Jesus Christ, his body here on this earth, we, we need to look and see how the Holy Spirit meant for this church to operate and, and how he meant for you as an individual, as a disciple of Jesus Christ, how he meant for you to live your life. And, this, and in this book, we're going to clearly see that. But we're also going to see very clearly the idea of not I, but Christ is dramatically unfolded. You see, we are powerless if not for the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, as it pertains to the book of Acts... If you were to take the book of Acts out of the New Testament, let's just say for some reason we just didn't have a copy of it. Well, if that were the case, we would never be able to understand the rest of the New Testament. There would be a huge void. At the end of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you'd be left with a handful of Jews in the city of Jerusalem talking about a kingdom for Israel. And if you look at the other side of the book of Acts, at the book of Romans, you find a man named Paul, whose name was never mentioned in the four Gospels. 
And then all of a sudden, in Romans, he appears and is writing to a group of Christ followers in the city of Rome. So what happened between the four Gospels and the book of Romans? How did this tremendous change take place? How did the gospel get from Jerusalem to the very ends of the then-known world? Well, that's what we're going to see as we go through the book of Acts. And we're also going to see just how practical the book of Acts is for you and me today as modern-day followers of Jesus Christ. So maybe as you listen to these teachings through the book of Acts, you're one that has never been born again. You've never been born of the Spirit of God. Well, hang in there with us. Because I believe you will find that your eyes will be opened to the truth that you've never known before. And if you have been born again, the book of Acts is going to be a reminder to you of just how you, as a member of the body of Christ, should be living your life today on this earth. So there's a lot of power packed within the book of Acts, and we will begin that study now. So Acts chapter 1 Verse 1. Let's jump on into it. The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach. Now, it's not really known who this man Theophilus was. If you were to read different Bible commentaries, you'd see that some biblical scholars believe that he was a slave owner of Luke because Colossians chapter 4 verse 14 uh, tells us that Luke was a doctor. And during that time, historians say that doctors were most often the slaves of wealthy men. But whether or not that is the case, we really don't know. But we do know that Luke is the one that the Holy Spirit used to write the book of Acts. And he starts it out by addressing it to Theophilus. And the interesting thing to me is that when you look up the name Theophilus, it means friend of God. So that's just kind of interesting to me because Luke thought he was writing this letter to one man, but as it has turned out, this letter has gone out to the friends of God throughout all generations. So as the Holy Spirit used Luke to write this letter, he knew, the Holy Spirit knew the impact that it would have on the friends of God for all eternity. We will be blessed as we study through this book, and we will have the opportunity to grow even deeper in our friendship and our relationship with God the Father. God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So, for you and me today, this book is written to us. And if you remember, Jesus called us friends of God, didn't he? If you'd like, you can go ahead and turn there. John chapter 15. John chapter 15. And we'll look at verses 13 through 17. Jesus speaking there says in verse 13, Greater love has no one than this, 
than to lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all things that I heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. These things I command you, that you love one another. So here again, Jesus calls his disciples friends. And he commands his disciples to love. But he also commands us to go and to bear fruit. And back in Acts chapter 1, this letter is again written to us as friends of God. And it says there in verse 1 that it is talking about the things that Jesus began to do and teach. So that's important to keep in mind as we study through the book of Acts. We are going to see the works of Jesus. You see, the works of Jesus did not stop with his ascension back into heaven. His work, the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, continued on by his Holy Spirit. And it continues on today. His Holy Spirit is still working in the lives of the friends of God. Now, I know that I'm belaboring that point, but it's important that we understand the application of this book in our lives as modern-day followers of Jesus Christ. And moving on now to verse 2 of Acts chapter 1, it says, Until the day in which he was taken up, after he through the Holy Spirit had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen. Now, do you remember at the end of the Gospel of John, Jesus breathed on the disciples and they received the Holy Spirit? They would not have been able to receive from Jesus the commandments spoken of here in verse 2 without the Holy Spirit being in them. Verse 3 goes on to say, to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during forty days, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. So Jesus, in his loving way, appeared off and on to the disciples over a forty-day period after his resurrection. As you study the New Testament, you will see that Jesus would show up and then disappear off and on during that time. Remember the two guys on the road to Emmaus? You can read about it in Luke chapter 24. Jesus appeared to them and as they walked and, and began to teach them, and then he disappeared from them. Remember the disciples locked up in a room fearing for their lives and Jesus appeared to them? And then he came back again for a special appearance to a doubting Thomas. You see, Jesus was, in a way, weaning these guys or getting them ready for the time when he would no longer be physically on the earth. 
And while doing that, he was giving them commandments. He was preparing them to go and to bear fruit. And he's still telling us to do the same thing today. But we cannot go out and do the will of the Lord without the power of the Holy Spirit. The disciples back then couldn't do it, and nor can we. So looking at verse 4 here, we see it says, And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So Jesus himself makes it real clear here that there is more than one baptism. John's baptism was a baptism to repentance. And the baptism of the Holy Spirit is an entirely separate event. Now, for an example of what I'm talking about here, let's turn to Acts chapter 19. Go ahead and mark this page. We'll turn to Acts chapter 19. And let's read starting in verse 1. So Acts chapter 19, verse 1. And it happened while Apollos was at Cornwall that Paul, having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus and finding some disciples, he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? So they said to him, We have not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. And he said to them, Into what then were you baptized? So they said, into John's baptism. Then Paul said, John indeed baptized with a baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on him who would come after him, that is on Jesus Christ or on Christ Jesus. Verse 5, when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. So, we'll cover those verses a little more in depth when we get to chapter 19. But again, we clearly see that according to the Scripture, there is a baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, go ahead and turn back to Acts chapter 1. There in verse 5 of Acts chapter 1, we see Jesus is speaking of the Holy Spirit coming upon the disciples. Now, that Greek word used there for the word upon is the word epi, E-P-I. Picture, if you will, a pitcher of water in my hand, and I take it and I pour out the water you know, from the pitcher upon your head. That's how Jesus is referring to the Holy Spirit here in verse 5, the Holy Spirit coming upon someone. But let's go ahead and turn back to the Gospel of John again. This time turn to chapter 14. John chapter 14. And let's start reading in verse 15. 
So John chapter 14, verse 15. If you love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever, the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. So in verse 17, we see that the Holy Spirit is with us. And the Greek word for the word with is the word para, P-A-R-A. We also see in this same verse that it says the Holy Spirit will be in you. And that's another Greek word, N-E-N. So why am I pointing all of this out to you? Well, as it relates to the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, we see that he is with us in the earth. And by being with us, he is drawing people to a relationship with Jesus Christ by convicting people that they need to be born again. Jesus himself said in John chapter 6, verse 60, or excuse me, 44, that no one can come to him unless the Father who sent him draws that person to him. And the way a person is drawn to God is the work of the Holy Spirit with us on the earth today. And the Holy Spirit is doing this work in one way or another in the lives of every person alive, trying to woo them to Jesus Christ, bringing the gospel message to them. And when a person heeds that calling of the Holy Spirit and they repent, and they turn their lives over to Jesus Christ, the Savior and Lord. They've heard the gospel, and they repent. The Holy Spirit then comes in that person, and Jesus becomes the Lord of their life. And then what we are seeing back in Acts chapter 1 is that the Holy Spirit then comes upon a person that has surrendered their life to Jesus and empowers that person to do the works that the Lord has for them to do on this earth. Then there are various kinds of gifts that the Holy Spirit gives to us. And we're going to talk about those gifts as well. But if you've never realized that in your own life, this work of the Holy Spirit I really encourage you to pray and seek the Lord for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We're going to see, as we go through this book, how the power of the Holy Spirit changed the lives of the disciples of Jesus Christ in that day, and He will change your life as well, and He will empower you to be a witness for Him. So looking back, at Acts chapter 1, in verse 6 and 7, it says, Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem 
and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So it's important that we see this here, that the clear-cut purpose for the Holy Spirit coming upon a person is so that that person will be a witness for Jesus Christ. The disciples here in verse 6 appear to have their minds on the kingdom of Israel. But Jesus says, don't worry about Israel. The Father will take care of that in his time. But you are now going to be going in a different direction. And you are going to be a witness of mine is what Jesus is telling them. The Holy Spirit was going to come upon them. And their sight would be set far beyond Israel. They would now be witnesses to Jesus Christ, to the ends of the earth. You see, the Holy Spirit is not just here to give us a warm and a fuzzy feeling. Salvation is the reason that the disciples were empowered with the Holy Spirit. In other words, they were going to now go out and take the gospel message out, and they needed the power of the Holy Spirit to do this. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't about the Holy Spirit come upon them and, oh, wow, we had a great experience. We felt so good. You know, you hear Christians today say things like, man, the Holy Spirit moved mightily in that concert the other night. Oh, yeah, well, I was in my room the other night and I felt the Holy Spirit all over me. And, you know, as I hear comments like that, I can't help but wonder, well, who got saved? While you were having all those experiences, who got saved? Who heard that Jesus loved them? Who heard that Jesus died for them, rose again from the dead, and desires for them to be born again? You see, again, the clear-cut purpose of the Holy Spirit coming upon these believers was that they would go out and take the name of Jesus to the world around them. And nothing's changed about that today. You see, they were going to have great impact in the world. So much so that we'll see that they will be accused of turning the world upside down. But too many people today are just seeking the Holy Spirit for their own personal goosebumps. But the Holy Spirit desires to use us to bring other people to the knowledge of the truth of Jesus Christ. That's why the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You know, the Holy Spirit used a man in my life when I was 19 years old. This man was not a pastor. He was not a Bible teacher. He was not an evangelist, well, with a title anyway. But he was an example to me of the love of Christ. And he was an example of the power of the resurrection at work in someone's life. And he shared the truth of the word with me. And you know, it didn't take root right away. It was two years later before those seeds that he planted would bring forth fruit in my life. But I came to understand the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. For that two-year period, you know, before I surrendered to Christ, the Holy Spirit was with me, and He was just chipping away at me, knocking on my heart, opening my eyes to the truth. 
But then the day came when I finally surrendered my life completely to Jesus Christ. And then, not long after that, the Holy Spirit came upon me. And I was, of course, as anyone is, saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And I was baptized in water, which was an outward expression of that inward commitment of my heart. Then I continued to read and study God's Word. And again, I had that moment in my life where the Holy Spirit came upon me. And it wasn't until then that I really became an effective witness for Jesus Christ. And as we grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, what happens is a testimony begins to develop. We begin to see who we once were. And now through the Holy Spirit, you know, working within us, we are changed from the inside out. And we then need to share that testimony, no matter what it is. Tell people what you are learning about Jesus. Invite them to a Bible study to find out more about him. Find a place that teaches the Word of God. Just allow for the Holy Spirit to work through you. But you know, just as Jesus didn't force himself on anyone, nor does the Holy Spirit, we must be willing to step out in faith and to share our faith in Jesus Christ. And I thank God on a regular basis for that man when I was 19 years old who was willing to step up and share his faith with me and tell me of the love of Jesus Christ. Now, let me expound a little bit more, though, on what I'm saying here about sharing your faith. I'll use this analogy. When you are a baby in Christ. In other words, you're just starting to grow in the knowledge of him through studying his word. No one expects you to be able to explain everything about the Bible, just as we wouldn't expect a two-year-old child to be able to explain driving directions from New York to Los Angeles. There is a time where you yourself need to allow yourself to grow. Just sit back and allow yourself to mature spiritually. Now, turn toward the back of your Bible to the book of 1 Peter. You'll find it just after the book of James and, of course, just before the book of 2 Peter. And we're looking for 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2, and let's start reading in verse 1. Therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. Now, notice something there in verse 1, that even for a baby in Christ, they have laid some things aside. They have laid aside all malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and evil speaking. So this person has been born again. 
They've been born of the Spirit and they've come to the Lord. They've turned from their sin. They've repented. And then it says in verse 2, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. So there is a time when a person is a baby in Christ, but yet they've definitely come to a place, first of all, like I said, where they have repented of the life in which they once lived, where they weren't following the Lord, and they were being led by the flesh and by their own carnal mind, right? But they have now put aside that kind of behavior. And and a person comes to Christ to be born again and to start a new life in him. You don't come to Jesus Christ just for fire insurance. You don't come just for religion. Coming to Christ is not joining a religion. Coming to Christ has nothing to do with church attendance or church membership. Coming to Christ is being changed on the inside. You have a very definite born-again experience in which you are remorseful for the life you once lived without Christ. And now you come to a place where you desire to follow Jesus wholeheartedly. You must choose to come to him. Then you will be sealed with the Holy Spirit and begin to grow in him. Let's read on here, First Peter uh, verse 3 there. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious, coming to him as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious, you also as living stones are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Now, Those verses there are so powerful. When you come to Christ, you are coming to a risen and living Lord. When he came to the earth, he was rejected, as we saw when we studied the Gospel of John. They crucified him, they buried him, but he rose again. And now... We are being built up as a spiritual house, and we are growing in the grace and in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And as we grow more and more, what are we to do? We are to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. You see, spiritual sacrifices are not acceptable to God in any other way than through Jesus Christ. So unless a person is offering up spiritual sacrifices through Jesus Christ, their spiritual sacrifices are unacceptable. But here again, if you are a baby in Christ, that's okay. But desire the milk of the word that you may grow. But on the other hand, if you're not in the word, don't expect to be growing up in the Lord. Many people say, ah, that Jesus thing didn't work for me. But they were never in the Word of God. They were never born again through the Word of God. They never fed themselves spiritually in order that they may grow. And now for those of you 
that have known the Lord for quite some time, there's some scriptures for you as well. Turn back to, or turn to Hebrews chapter 5. It's back to the left two books from 1 Peter here. Hebrews chapter 5. And let's start reading in verse 12. So Hebrews 5 verse 12. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God, and you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age, that is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and and evil. There is no excuse for not growing in the word of the Lord. It is called there in verse 13, the word of righteousness. There should be a time where you have become mature as it pertains to the word of God. You should arrive at a place where you too can at some level teach the word of God to others because you have grown up in the word of God. Your senses should be exercised to a place where you can discern both good and evil. Again, many people are stumbling through this life, professing Christianity, falling in and out of sin because they have not brought their senses to the place where they can, you know, they have not been exercised their senses to the place where they can discern both good and evil. As I often tell people, As long as we have skin, we will struggle with sin. So we have to be willing to be led by the Spirit, yielding to the Spirit, and not yielding to the flesh. Now, with all of this growth I'm talking about here, the Holy Spirit is the one that is causing this growth to take place in our lives. Turn again. To the Gospel of John, chapter 14. John chapter 14. And let's read verse 26. It says, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things. And bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. Now, I just want to quickly point something out here because many people fall into this trap of lifting up a Bible teacher. And they say, oh, so-and-so, he's a great Bible teacher. Oh, he's my Bible teacher. Oh, he's my this, my that, whatever. But it's the Holy Spirit. He will teach you all things. And bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you, that Jesus said, right? It's the Holy Spirit that teaches us the things of God and brings to our remembrance all that Jesus said. And as we flip back now to the book of Acts, chapter 1, again, we're to grow in the Lord, we're to be empowered by the Holy Spirit, but It's all glory to the Lord because it's His Holy Spirit that is working in us and through us. 
Jesus tells them in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, that they will receive power, right, when the Holy Spirit has come upon them. And they will be witnesses to him in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And then verse 9, Now when he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. So that gives us a little insight there on what it's going to be like when Jesus comes back. First of all, it's going to be the same Jesus, (laughs) as it says there in verse 9, right? Jesus has not yet come back since he ascended into heaven the first time. He's not yet come. He's not come and given another gospel anywhere, right? The same Jesus that we've been reading about in the gospel of John is going to come back again. The Jesus who walked on this earth as God in the flesh, the Jesus who loved and healed many, the same Jesus who hung, bled, and died, the same Jesus who was buried and rose again, he is coming back. And now, as we're seeing in the book of Acts here, the disciples will do just as Jesus commanded them to do. In verse 12, it says, Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey. And when they had entered, they went up into the upper room where they were staying. Peter, James, John, and Andrew, Philip, and Thomas, Bartholomew, and Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, the zealot, and Judas, the son of James... These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. And in those days, Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples. Altogether, the number of names was about a hundred and twenty, and said, Men and brethren, this scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke before the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered with us and obtained a part in this ministry. Now this man purchased a field with the wages of iniquity, and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle, and all his entrails gushed out. And it became known to all those dwelling in Jerusalem, so that field is called in their own language Akeldama, that is, field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, let his dwelling place be desolate, and let no one live in it, and let another take his office. So Peter here was obedient to what he knew of the book of Psalms. And he stepped up and he made an administrative decision here. He felt that since Jesus chose 12, there should still be 12. Now, theologians, Bible commentaries debate whether this decision was right or wrong in in Peter choosing this. We don't have any record of the outcome of this decision, and we can ask Jesus about it when we get to heaven. 
as to whether or not this administrative decision was right or not. But nonetheless, here it is in the Word of God. And Peter continues on in verse 21 and says, Therefore, of these men who have accompanied us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John to that day when he was taken up from us, one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. And they proposed two. Joseph, called Barsabbas, who was surnamed Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, You, O Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which of these two you have chosen to take part in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas by transgression fell, that he might go to his own place. And they cast their lots, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleventh or the eleven apostles. So, one thing's for sure, at least they took their decision in prayer before the Lord, didn't they? And I would encourage you to begin to do the same thing with your daily decisions. If you have surrendered your life to Christ, then by His Holy Spirit, He is in you. Seek Him daily in prayer. Study His Word regularly. You can do that with us here at Abounding Love, either in person or on our podcast or on our website. But more importantly, you need to study the Bible on your own. This is the only way in which you will mature spiritually. I exhort you to continue to grow in the grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and to continue to seek after Him, ask Him for the power of His Holy Spirit to come upon you that you may be a witness for Him here on this earth. God bless.